unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, the ancient gospel lesson for this Sunday, read in hundreds of thousands of Christian churches today, the Easter story according to St. Mark, the 16th chapter. I shall begin at the fifth verse. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter, that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, and you also, Christian friends, who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. Oh, it's good to be in God's house this morning, isn't it? And radio friends, it's good to have you worshiping with us also on this day. Because this day, as you know and as I know, this is Easter Sunday. This is the day that commemorates the resurrection of our Lord from the grave, from the dead. You know, it was on this morning, centuries ago, before the sun began to shine in the east, that a group of women were going out David Street in the city of Jerusalem. That's the Via Dolorosa. And in the darkness, they were going up that street and they were going to Joseph's garden, to that tomb. And may I assure you, if there was any thought that never entered the women's minds that morning centuries ago, it was the thought of a resurrection from the dead that they never even dreamed of. These were the women, you know, who had been at the cross on Good Friday, and they helped Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take the body of Jesus from the cross and to prepare it for burial. A Joseph of Arimathea wanted the body in his new hewn tomb, and he had brought the linen cloths, and so they wound these cloths around the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus had brought the dry aloes, and they put that in between the folds, and they did the best job that they could, and they put Jesus in the tomb, and then they rolled the rock away and those women sat there and the sun was sinking in the western sky and that meant the beginning of the Sabbath and they knew that they couldn't continue that job. So they arranged that when the sun would go down on Saturday night and the Sabbath would be passed, that they would go to the market and they were going to buy some costly ointment or liquid perfume that they didn't have and they wanted a liquid aromatic perfume in order to finish the embalming and the anointing of Jesus' body. They were going to see to that. Saturday night then they bought that liquid spice and that's why they were on the way on this morning centuries ago. They wanted to finish that job before putrefaction would set in and the body would smell. And as they were walking along it suddenly dawned on them that they couldn't get into the tomb when they got there because they were women and they didn't have the strength to roll the rock away from the entrance. And then it was that they felt an earthquake and they ran to that tomb and they saw 
the stone was lying on the ground and they rushed into the tomb and they looked where Jesus' body had been laid and it wasn't there. And they were filled with fear and doubts and they wondered what had happened. And then there was an angel in the tomb and the angel said, don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. And then the angel said, he's risen. He is risen. He isn't here. And they were filled with dismay and they went out of the tomb and they took that message and the angel says, go tell his disciples. And we are told that they went and they didn't say a word and they couldn't believe it. They couldn't imagine that Jesus was risen from the dead. And as they went to tell the disciples that something had happened, the risen Lord appeared to them and they saw him. That's Easter. The Christ that died arose again. And you may say, what shall we say about Easter? And I would say this about Easter this morning, Christian friend. Easter is the VIP event of Christendom. Easter is the most valuable. It is the most important. It is the most priceless event in all Christendom. It is the most VIP event in the life of Christ. It is more important. It transcends even the very event of his birth on Christmas. It is greater than the event when at the age of 30 he entered his public ministry on the inauguration day. It is a greater event than when he was on the mountain and he was transfigured and the glory that was his oozed out of his body. Easter is the VIP event of Christendom and of his life. It is greater than Palm Sunday. It is greater than good. Friday. It is the VIP event of events of all Christendom, the greatest incident in the life of Jesus, barring none. And you may say to me, preacher, do you mean to tell me this morning that Easter is a greater and more valuable event than Christmas when he was born in the fields of Bethlehem and when an angel said who he was, that he was the Savior, and angels sang, you've got me right, friend, that's exactly what I I say that Easter is the VIP event, greater and far more transcending than Christmas, wonderful as Christmas is. And you may say, preacher, are you trying to tell me this morning that Easter is the VIP event of Christendom, that it's greater than when on the day when Jesus was 30 and he was inaugurated and baptized and the heavens opened and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do you mean to say that Easter is greater than that event? You're right. That's exactly what I'm saying. And you say, preacher, are you trying to tell me this morning that when Jesus went up on the mountain and he was transfigured before the three disciples and his glory as the Son of God oozed out of his body, that Easter is greater than that event? That's what I'm saying exactly. You understand me. Are you trying to tell me, preacher, that on Palm Sunday when he rode into Jerusalem they acclaimed him their Messiah and their King and they shouted their hosannas that Easter is greater than Palm Sunday that's exactly what I am saying then you may say to me but listen preacher are you trying to tell me that Easter the resurrection of Christ that it is the VIP event of Christendom that it's even greater than Good Friday when he died on the cross and when there was darkness over the face of the land that's exactly what I am saying 
I am telling you this morning that Easter, it is the VIP event of Christendom. It is the greatest event of all events in the life of Jesus Christ. It is transcended by no other event. It far overshadows all of them. And you may say, why, these others are just as important. But I say to you this morning, they are not. Easter is the greatest, and for this reason... That Easter is the only event in the life of Jesus that gives you and me an unshakable certainty regarding him. There is no other event. There is only one incident in his life that gives us an indispensable foundation and certainty regarding Jesus. And you don't find that absolute certainty in Christmas. It is not there in the inauguration day. It is not there in the transfiguration. It is not there on Palm Sunday. It is not there even at Calvary. Tremendous as those events are, that absolutely indispensable certainty about Jesus we get only in the resurrection event when he raised himself from the grave. And you may say to me, preacher, all right, what again does Easter and Easter alone give us as an unshakable certainty and foundation, indispensable and solid as a rock as regards Jesus? I would like to mention three this morning, and this is the first one. Easter is the one and the only event in the life of Jesus that gives you and me the absolute indispensable certainty that he was the Messiah, the promised one who was to be the Savior of the world. Was Jesus of Nazareth the Messiah that was promised back in the Garden of Eden to our first parents? Was he the seed of the woman that was supposed to come and be the Savior? Was this Jesus born of Mary? Was he the Messiah, the anointed one of God? Was he the one? And you may say, well, doesn't Christmas with the voice of the angels assure us? It does not because the Christ of Christmas died. And because the Christ of Christmas died, David, back in the Old Testament in prophesying about Messiah, said this, Thou wilt not abandon my soul unto hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. But Jesus died, and because he died, therefore we must say failure. We must say he must not have been the Messiah if again we only had his death. And because the Christ of Christmas died, there is no indispensable assurance in Christmas that he was the Messiah. And just because a voice from heaven spoke on the day of his inauguration, there is no absolute certainty in that event that Jesus was beyond question the Messiah because that Messiah who entered his public ministry died. And therefore there is no indispensable certainty in the fact that when his glory used out of him because that Christ in glory died, the Palm Sunday Christ died. The Christ of Good Friday died. And therefore, at best, you and I would have to say failure. And then you and I, at worst, would have to say he was a fraud. And if he died again, he must have been an imposter. He must have been a liar. Or he must have deluded himself, thinking that he was the Messiah because he failed. Now comes Easter. He had said before his death, when a group said to him one day, Are you the Messiah? 
You claim you are the Messiah who's to come in. We want a sign. Give us a certainty that you are. And Jesus gave him a certainty, and it was a tremendous one. He said, all right, I'll give you an assurance that you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I am the seed of the woman, I am the Messiah. He said this. He said, as again, Jonah was in the belly of the fish so many days and nights, he says, and so, and came forth. He says, and so shall the Son of Man be in the bosom of the earth and come forth. In other words, Christ says, do you want an absolute sign that I am the Messiah beyond the shadow of a doubt? Christ says, my resurrection. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. I will rise from the dead. That will be your visible certainty when you see me alive again that I was beyond the shadow of a doubt the Messiah. And that's why when he arose from the dead on Easter, this is the VIP event of all Christendom. There is no other valuable, important, priceless event like Easter because in the very fact that coming back to life as he said that he would, the sign of the prophet Jonah that he would rise again, he gives you and me the very solid rock foundation that he was the Messiah and he gives us this glorious assurance that when death comes to you and me, this will never happen, that at death it will stand before God and that will be disillusioned. Can you imagine anything more tragic than for us as Christians at the day of our death to suffer disillusionment, to find our hope shattered in Christ? What would happen, again, you may say, for the man on the outside, he doesn't care about disillusionment. No wonder Paul says, we Christians, if Jesus wasn't the Messiah, we are the most miserable people on earth. Why? Because you and I put our faith and trust in him. We have put all of our eggs in one basket, haven't we? And we, again, we expect to face death and we expect to face it unafraid because we say he was the Christ. There's no doubt about it. And then... Should this happen that we would stand on the day of our death before God and God would say, I'm sorry, but he wasn't the Messiah. He was a fraud. He was a fake. He was a failure. He died. He was not the Messiah. And then you and I to have our hope shattered. Listen, friend, if the most tragic thing that can come in your life and mine is to have our confidence in somebody destroyed and feel that it can never be regained, pray, God, what would it be like to stand before God in the day of our death, putting our whole future and our whole eternity on Jesus, and then to be told in disillusionment and in disenchantment that he wasn't the Messiah, wouldn't that be the most horrible thing that could happen? That God would say, I'm sorry, and I hope you understand this expression, you put your money on the wrong horse. There, he wasn't the horse that came in. He wasn't the Messiah. Again, he was a failure. Thank God that's why Easter is the VIP event of all events of Christendom. It outranks every other incident in the life of Christ because in the very resurrection of Jesus Christ, when he said, I will rise again, and he came back to life, he gives you and me an unshakable assurance that he was the Messiah. You and I will never be disillusioned. And that's why on this Easter Sunday we ought to again, we ought to believe that this is the VIP event in the life of Jesus in all Christendom, and we ought to rejoice in it, and then we ought to determine this day that we're going to keep alive the message of Easter. And by the message of Easter, believe you me, I mean this, 
I mean the actual physical bodily resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Oh, we're getting in the minority in the Christian church. There are those who are saying, oh, that's inconsequential. Oh, that doesn't mean much whether he actually arose from the dead. Oh, doesn't it? If he didn't arise bodily from the dead, then our faith is vain. Then Christianity has nothing on which to stand. And may I say this, if the time in my life would ever come that I would no longer accept the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, I would never occupy a pulpit again because I would have no message. There isn't any hope. There is only disillusionment and disenchantment if the Christ that you and I know did not arise from the dead. These women saw him. Men today say, there's no proof. You can't prove that he arose. People like to talk that way. They imagine they saw him. The women saw him and they touched him and he ate with them. The eyewitness says, all right, you may deny it, but we saw him. What are you going to do with an eyewitness? When they went into the tomb, there were the linen wrappings. The body was gone. How could the body have been gotten out of the linen wrappings and they still intact? There was the napkin that was over his face, folded and laid to one side. What greater proof do you and I need? These women saw him and he talked to them. These were the eyewitnesses. And when you and I can stand and say there is only one resurrection, and that's a bodily resurrection, and then we have the comfort, if we can defend it, of keeping the Christian church intact. It's the keystone of the arch. When you take the keystone out of the arch, all the other stones crumble. When you take the VIP event out of the life of Jesus, that's his resurrection, then all the rest is nothing but a sham. It is nothing but failure. It is given us no hope whatsoever. Again, we say, what about Easter? What about the resurrection of Christ from the dead? May I assure you this, it is the VIP event of Christendom beyond question. It is the most valuable, the most important, the most priceless event that ever occurred to Jesus Christ, barring none. And all because it's the one and the only event that gives us a solid, guaranteed certainty regarding Jesus. And you may say, well, what's another certainty that only Easter gives? Not only the first one that I mentioned, that it gives you and me the absolute certainty that he was beyond question the Messiah, but in the second place, Easter and Easter alone, this event, gives you and me the indestructible certainty and assurance that his sacrifice on Good Friday was accepted by his Heavenly Father for the salvation of the world. Jesus came into the world, he said, to die, didn't he? And we say to ourselves, oh, he had a wonderful vision. He came to die for us. He came to be our Savior, he said. He came in order to provide eternal life and salvation for all men. He came to do this. He came by suffering the guilt and the punishment of our sins on the cross. He came to gain an exemption ticket from hell for you and me and for all men. He came by his death on the cross not only to gain an exemption ticket from hell for you and me, but also to merit an admission ticket to heaven for the entire human race. That was his mission. And you and I say, well, then doesn't that make Calvary the greatest event in the life of Jesus? But you see, he died that afternoon. 
And a dead Savior is a failure. A dead Savior is absolutely a hoax. A dead failure is an imposter failure. And therefore we must say he was a liar. He failed and did the Father then accept it. God the Father says that he also raised the Son from the dead. How do you and I know that he did score a 100% righteousness for us? Why, God the Father raised him from the dead. A tremendous sign. There isn't anything any greater. God could have done nothing greater or more startling than to have raised his son from the dead. That's tops. That's a zenith miracle, greater than anything that you and I can imagine. In order that his son being seen alive, that he would give an absolute positive external proof to the world that he had accepted the righteousness of his son, that gladly Jesus had completed the work. And therefore, giving you and me this assurance that at death, this will never happen because of Easter, because he lives. This will never happen, that at death you will, I will stand before God and that God will turn to you and me and that God will reject us. This will never happen that we may stand before God on the day of our death and say, uh, I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I have his 100% righteousness. I have the robe of his righteousness on God. And therefore I know that I'm saved. This will never happen that God will say, I'm sorry, son, but I never accepted that sacrifice. You don't have any 100% righteousness at all. You have no exemption ticket from hell. You have no admission ticket to heaven. Get away from me. I will spew you out of my mouth. You are lost and you are damned. That will never happen. Why? Christmas... The Inauguration Day, Transfiguration, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, don't guarantee that it won't happen because that was the Christ who died. But Easter, there is the undeniable, there is the absolutely indispensable guarantee that because he lives that God must accept you and me when we have his righteousness and that God gladly will again, when we have the righteousness of Jesus on the day of our death, will grant us acquittal and grant us eternal life. That's what Easter means. It is the VIP event of Christendom. Don't ever forget it. And when you and I can believe that today and when we can rejoice in it, then we were, are going to determine this day that we're going to do that which Christ again showed as the very center of his heart and his desire even on Easter. Have you ever wondered, this is what I mean, have you ever wondered when the women went in the tomb why the angel said go and tell his disciples and Peter uh, that he's going to meet them in Galilee? Now Galilee is about a hundred miles away from Joseph's garden. Galilee is way up in the northern province. Joseph's uh, garden is down here in Judea. Uh, Jesus saw the disciples that night. You may wonder why. Why does the angel say in poor old Peter? Because Peter was pretty low about this time, having denied his Lord. In other words, the angel said to the women, Be sure and tell the disciples not to forget the appointment that Jesus has made with them in Galilee. And he made it before he died. He said, Tell them that he wants to meet them up in Galilee. Tell them not to forget his rendezvous. We're going to have a meeting. And when you turn to the word of God, you wonder, What happened up there in Galilee? What was it? Several weeks later, Paul says that he appeared, this risen Christ, 
to about 500, in other words, to his followers, to his church. And evidently that was the meeting up on a mountain in Galilee when he appeared to his followers and to the twelve when the risen Lord gave the great missionary command, go and make disciples of all nations. What was dearest to the heart of Jesus on the day of his resurrection? It was that his followers would remember the rendezvous, the little appointment that he had, that they would share him, the risen Christ, with other men and make disciples. And that ought to mean this for you and me on Easter. We ought to say, if that's the thing that's dear to the heart of Jesus, that I am to go out and share this risen Christ, this Christ who guarantees salvation, that his sacrifice has been acceptable, then you and I, if we do it and we would declare it today, we would discover that we would have found out the real purpose of our living in this world, our real place in life. Have you ever wondered, why am I alive? What is my duty in life? What is my place in life? Well, Jesus says that you and I are to be our brother's keepers. And you and I may say, when am I my brother's keeper? When am I really, if that's my rule in life, when am I my brother's keeper? You know when you and I are our brother's keeper? And we'll never be his keeper until this. Until it's our personal concern about him knowing the living Christ is his Savior. When that's my concern about my brother, about any man that lives, and that I love him so much I want him to spend eternity and I don't want him to be lost, then I learn what it means that I am his keeper. I learn how to treat him in love and mercy and consideration, not only as a spiritual being but in this life. Then and only then do I begin to fulfill my role as my brother's keeper. I can't hate my brother when I want to save him. I want him to have every privilege that I enjoy. And when you and I look out in this world today with all of its problems, let me assure you of this, that the panacea, the answer for every problem that faces every nation and ours is this, that if we as Christians would take the matter that's dear to the heart of Jesus and you and I would go out and make disciples, then fulfill our role as our brother's keeper, that we would love all men that we wanted them saved, we'd know how to treat them. And there would be no problems. That's the panacea of Easter. It's tremendous. Is it any wonder that the VIP event of all Christendom is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, why? Why? Because it's the only event that gives absolute certainty with regard to Christ. Not only that he was beyond question the Messiah, not only the indisputable assurance then that God accepted his sacrifice, but also this, it's the only event, barring all the rest, that gives us the undeniable assurance and certainty that Christ really conquered the grave. How do you know Christ conquered the grave? If there had been no Easter, you and I would have no assurance whatsoever that he conquered death in the grave. The Christmas Christ didn't because the Christmas Christ died. The Christ of the inauguration day died. The Christ of the transfiguration died. The Christ of Palm Sunday died. The Christ of Good Friday died. But the Christ of Easter, he conquered the grave. You and I say, oh, that grave. Yes, you and I have one thing facing us, isn't that right? That's the grave. You and I are not going to escape it. I stand as a dying man preaching to dying people. 
the grave stands. And you may say, preacher, we don't want to hear about the grave today. But the fact is that that grave faces you and it faces me. And it's inescapable. It's the way of all flesh. And you and I would say, I don't want to go to the grave. I'm afraid of the grave. Has the grave been conquered? That's an enemy. And Jesus Christ, because of Easter, he says, son, I conquered the grave. I came back. I went there. You don't have to be afraid of the grave anymore. I went there and I slept in the grave and I came out and I show you that I have conquered it. And therefore, this is the one event and that's why it's the VIP event that assures you and me beyond the shadow of doubt that there will be a resurrection at the last day. Christ says, because I live. See, Easter, because I live. Ye shall live also. The hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear my voice and shall come forth. You and I say, oh, how can there be a general resurrection when my body returns to the elements whence it has come and underground and subterranean waters will wash my ashes. Maybe some will land in the Pacific and some of my ashes will land in the Atlantic. How in God's name can my body be brought back? I don't know, but I know a risen Christ who brought his body back and who says, because I live, ye shall live also. And therefore, again, the unshakable rock that you and I can stand on, is it any wonder why Easter is the VIP event of all Christendom? It assures you and me, sure, it's a tremendous thing to believe, but we've got a tremendous Christ. He conquered the grave, and that's why today, when we believe, well, that Easter is the VIP event barring none in Christendom and in the life of Jesus, and we rejoice in it. Then we will determine today that when we shed tears when death comes to our loved ones, they will not be tears of hopelessness and despair. Oh, death comes, doesn't it? But Easter's the answer to that. When we weep, perhaps a son or a husband in Vietnam, death comes, doesn't it? And we weep and we cry, but no reason for hopeless tears. When one day I stood in the Colosseum at Rome, and I looked at that Colosseum, and I relived in my mind's eye when Christians were fed to the lions there, what was it that sustained them? What was it? What is the genuine grand truth in this world that wipes away more tears than any other event in human history? It was the fact that those Christians said, He lives. My Savior lives who died. He's a living Christ. And therefore, there were tears that were wiped. And I stood in the catacombs in Rome, down underneath the ground, 70 feet down, where the early Christians with their religion, which was declared illicit, where they buried their dead. What was it that wiped away their tears and removed tears of hopelessness? On the walls there in the catacombs, they have written, Vive it! He lives! He lives! He lives! And I stood in the tomb in Joseph's garden, too. And oh, that's an experience of a lifetime when you can stand there in the tomb where Jesus was. And he, again, he touched me in that tomb. I felt his presence to know that he lives. Oh, the tears that have been wiped away when God lays his hands on your loved ones and mine. Some of you will take these lilies and you're going out to the cemetery this afternoon and you're going to say, look how the grass is coming out. Spring is burgeoning forth. And here are lilies again in the great transformation that God gives us every springtime. When again from the winter there comes, <coughs> there comes spring 
you and I say to ourselves, here is something that points again to a tremendous resurrection. Oh, the German poet said, Seid der Winter noch so lang, so kommt der Frühling doch. May winter ever be so long, nevertheless, spring's still going to come. May the winter of your life and mine be long, or the winter of our loved ones lying in the cemeteries long. Spring will come. There will be that resurrection, and you can say to the grave this afternoon, your sting is gone, your fang is gone, my Savior has conquered the grave. Some of you say you go out there and you read tombstones because you've got more friends lying out in the cemetery than you have left here on earth. Not that you're morbid, but again, there's a tremendous lift because it's the sleeping place, because the VIP event of Christendom is the resurrection of Jesus, and someday those friends are going to be raised up, and in Christ we'll be reunited, and we shall spend an eternity with him. That's the tremendous event that dries more tears, and you and I can cry today and we can say, but nevertheless, I've got a living Jesus. Have you ever thought that every Sunday when you look at the cross, there you say, well, the cross, isn't it, Pastor? Isn't that the symbol only of Good Friday? Not at all. The cross is a double symbol. Do you notice on the cross that the body is not there? The cross without the corpus or the body has two meanings. It means Good Friday, to be sure. It was on the cross that Christ died. But with the body removed, it also means Easter. The Christ of Good Friday, he lives. David, he lives. You and I can say, thank God. This is the VIP event of all events. He lives. Nothing else matters. This dries our tears. Hallelujah. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unites your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.